0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our liberty to the one and only CR podcast here at Blaze TV Daniel Horowitz in the house for our final day this week. Friday, February 19th. We love Fridays here because we are burnt out, but Monday, I'll be rejuvenated again. Very busy. We're focusing on a lot of different state legislatures. I'll have another article out today on Indiana. We're focusing on tons of states. But today, we're going to have a special show with the interim CEO of Parler to discuss what is going on with big tech and the censorship and the monopolies. And before we bring in our special guest, I just do want to say that What is going on with the fight against big tech and the few Republicans that are willing to fight is the same thing that goes on in every issue. I'm going to discuss this a little bit more next week. But my buddy Josh Hammer wrote a terrific column about rank analytical sophistry. And I love that term. It basically describes what I typically describe as the Amelia Bedelia game or thumb suckers, where they'll always give you these. Insane excuses for everything. Well, they're so principled that they view one action in a vacuum rather than totality of circumstances. Well, Daniel, I don't know. It's like they'll lock us up in the gulag and they'll be, I don't know if we could break a window. It's not really principled thing to do. And this is why we are where we are. So the other side violates the Constitution a 100 times over violates rules of federalism, violates statute, violates antitrust laws a hundred times. And we're like, well, Daniel, it's not conservative for us to fight back against that. And we denude ourselves of any tool that we have. And that's what's happening with big tech, with anti-discrimination law. That's what's happening with my push to apply anti-discrimination law against businesses that deny services for those not wearing masks. You know, they'll shut down businesses... And they could do that. But suddenly, if we just simply apply existing anti-discrimination and ADA law, which is a 100 times more meddlesome and burdensome on businesses than what we're saying, and we're only saying it because we're evening up the playing field from what the left already put out, no, you can't do that. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, so just wanted to mention that. <clears throat> Um, obviously we have our conaction.network where we're still trying to make it a well-oiled organization so we could properly put together the groups. So I appreciate your patience, but still give us your name, sign up by state, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you feel you can do in your area, your connections you have. Do you, Are you a lawyer? Could you do legal work? Um, conaction.network because folks, let me, let me give you, the quintessential example of why we need this organization. I mentioned to you West Virginia, like many states, Republican supermajorities, a phony rhino, really former Democrat, still is a Democrat governor, and they have worse tyranny than my state of Maryland. And basically they're all saying, oh, we need to deal with, uh, you know, emergency powers. The legislature should have some say in it. They're not arguing against the premise of what the governors are doing. And even on the technical front, they're not really limiting the governor's powers in various ways. They have different sleight of hand tricks. And in West Virginia, the trick they're playing and some other states are doing it too, they're only applying the limitation to 60 days, which is pretty generous, by the way, to future Emergencies, but not the COVID one that the governor declared. So, uh, state delegate Pat McKeon, he is from the northern panhandle of West Virginia. He proposed a uh, an amendment in committee to apply it to the current one. I mean, it's obvious, and 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 they originally adopted it, but then they stripped it out in committee and they say two things at once they give excuses well we had this deal that we made and we worked on the legislation so long you can't just parachute this in last minute and it's it's not needed cuz they basically imply that oh it applies to the current crisis but then they so then if it applies to it then what does a one sentence clarification harm the effort well the answer is they know that the lawyers uh for the governor believe that it doesn't apply and they're going to treat it as such And that's what it is. And and these are the games they play. So Pat proposed the amendment on the floor. They took it out in committee. He proposed it yesterday on the West Virginia House of Delegates floor. It lost 47 to 51. And I put out the names. Who is focusing on this? Uh, An amendment vote in a state legislature of West Virginia. Nobody. And that's the problem. But this is what will determine whether West Virginia is a free state as it should be. Or is it like San Francisco? We lost it by four votes. Mind you, Republicans have 77 Republicans there. So 30 Republicans voted with the Democrats. 30. Imagine if we had a Liberty Strike Force team in that state. Banging away where Pat McKeon could meet with them early on and say, look, I'm proposing an amendment, flood their their phone calls, public go flood them with Twitter and shame them. You know, these like West Virginia delegates that have 50 followers, you know, I have one hundred thousand if I could go and go after them. This is the type of thing we can do. I'm not saying it's going to work every time, but you, you don't know until you get on the playing field. This is just one example of what we are not doing, what we're leaving on the table in red states. Sorry for talking so fast there. I'm just in a rush to get to our guest. Um, today's show is sponsored by ConstitutionCoach.com. Those of you who did not show up for our February 21st defense handgun training, constitutional defense training in Front Nevada, yes, you should be jealous of what you missed. Um, but fear not, we have classes on March 21st and March 25th and May 30th and June 6th, okay? I will be at the May 30th class. They are two-day and four-day trainings. I would recommend the four-day. It is the best mix of a vacation, meeting and organizing with like-minded patriots, the best instructors around that will make you a pro And handling a gun, shooting out of the holster very accurately from 7, 10 yards, headshots, um, clearing malfunctions. And then Rick Green has terrific, terrific constitutional training at night. Um, It doesn't get better than that. And it's 90% off the typical cost of a front sight training, which is very expensive um, you know, it, it takes a two thousand dollar course, and you get it for one hundred fifty dollars. Now, yeah, obviously, you got to fly out there, and you got to, you know, pay for a hotel and a car and ammo, which is expensive. But you know, if you plan on going on vacation, let me know where you could have freedom and not wear a mask. Uh, this, this is it. This is great. Uh, in addition to that, look, folks, I understand a lot of people are very squeamish about flying because you have to wear a mask. I'm not going to convince you of those of you that never wear a mask and God bless you to, to violate that. But certainly if you live within driving distance of front sight, um, you got no excuses. So constitutioncoach.com sign up um, now before those classes get full. Again, I won't be at the March ones, but I will be at the May 30th one. So you could decide whether you want the cooler weather or whether you want to meet me. (laughs) Um, So ConstitutionCoach.com is today's sponsor, but I do want to get to today's guest. Now, in order to properly introduce our next guest, Mark Meckler, who really sits at the nexus of the two issues we're talking about today, state legislatures and big tech censorship. Now, if you remember, Mark is not only the head of Convention of the States, during the busy legislative season to push convention of the States, but he's also the interim CEO of parlor. I want to go back to the term I mentioned earlier from my buddy, Josh hammer rank analytical sophistry. That is the reason we are in the predicament. We are today. We're basically conservatives are so principled that they're unprincipled. So, you know, The left gets a hundred bites at the apple of violating the Constitution, violating their own antitrust laws, um, violating tenets of federalism, and then it gets us into a pickle where we are completely in a bind. And then anything we try to employ to get out of the bind that was created from the most foundational breaches in the Constitution, we're like, "Well, Daniel, that violates principle, or that violates Constitution, that violates this." And let me tie the two together, the, the, where you see this uh, sophistry. So we talked about with the state legislatures, um, we'll have the governors declare a fourth Reich, literally. Like, hey, buddy, no life, liberty, and property. Done. I'm the king. And then the legislatures, you come to them, they're like, well, Daniel, I don't know. We might need the governor's signature. The state constitution says we can only meet under these <laughs> circumstances. And like, so, what, uh, but, but what does the constitution say about him? What, so he has no restraints? But 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 you you do, and you know all this legislation where you have COVID fascism, the, the the greatest restrictions on business in the history of America create an unnatural market of mandatory masking, and then anything we do to try to say hey you can't discriminate, well Daniel you're putting a regulation on businesses. Now let's go into big tech and what they did to Parler and 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 everyone else. So we go an entire life where our businesses can't do jack squat like if you look at someone the wrong way you get a lawsuit um your mom and pop shop that is selling very sentimental things like like yeah that are handmade cakes or uh decorative things for weddings you must affirmatively take the action of involuntary servitude for a gay wedding even though they can go to a hundred other places and probably get special deals because they're, you know, such great people and the, you know, the special class of America. But you must do it because that that's discrimination and and you're violating the law. And 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 the courts have all said that, right? Even the cases where they didn't, it was very limited, um, like in, in the Colorado case and in the in the case of the Washington State. Um, pharmacy. They had to stock their shelves again. Take a positive action to stock their shelves with all thirty types of abortifacients, even though they were all available within five miles. But, but we are told that the entire tech and every large corporation can collude to essentially box out entire classes of people from the ability to communicate the equivalent of buying up all the roads and then saying nobody could use them. They could box us out from all e-commerce and ensure that we literally cannot utilize any constitutional right, earn a living, or nothing. And, hey, Daniel, it's a private business. They could do what they want. This is the type of sophistry we need to get out of, and it's driving me nuts. But you heard enough from me I want you guys to hear from Mark Meckler. Somehow he has found the time to take over temporarily uh, the parlor company as it's gone up online while fighting for the Convention of States. Hey, Mark, how do you have enough time during the
1: day? (laughs) There isn't enough time during the day. As I was saying to you before we went on the air, I'm drinking more coffee than usual. (laughs) And so there's more time during the night is what I'm finding works.
0: Yeah, so I'm literally watching you fly around to, you know, Idaho and Wisconsin and you're, you know, obviously pushing the next batch of states where we're at 15 states that have uh passed the application for a convention and we're working on more, um really getting to critical mass and then, you know, suddenly I hear your interim CEO Parlor. I know you were helping on the legal side. Um before we get to the legal stuff and the broad picture, just specifically Give us the good news. You know, where does Parler stand now and how secure is it from attack?
1: The good news is Parler's back online and we're back to stay. Uh, if you if you had an account previously, if you have the app on your iPhone or an Android device, you can literally log in exactly as you did before. And what you're going to see is pretty much what you saw before. I think it's a little bit better, a little bit more streamlined. Uh, so the, that's the great news. If you were there before, you can be there now. Uh, the little bit of a downside is right now we 're not accepting new users. We'll probably be doing that sometime next week. The main reason was that we wanted to make sure that people who are part of the parlor family mm. get back online first. We make sure they're having a good experience, and then we'll open it up to new members of the family so and And then we've had a couple of technology bumps along the way, to be honest with you. I would expect that the stack of technology required to get something like this online is it is incredibly complex. I think when we look at technology, We use a website, especially anything that has any level of complexity. We don't notice the complexity. If it works well, we never notice it. We just (laughs) use it. And so what you're going to see is occasionally we're having traffic bumps or routing bumps. But I would say as of last night, I've been working with the tech team pretty closely. By the way, all the credit to those guys. I mean, the team is unbelievably great. I've worked with tech people a long time. These guys are top notch. Uh, And I think as of last night, we did a a server uh, reset last night. I'm seeing basically a zero error rate. I think things are looking really good. As far as security and safety and stability of the stack that we've built, I'm very comfortable with it. One of the things that we did that was most important to me, we did not have previously what I would describe as a, a redundant stack, meaning there are lots of single point failures where if we lost a provider, if we had a technology glitch, we could go down. That's ultimately what happened. AWS pulled the services from us. That was our hosting provider. So we've built a stack that is intentionally redundant. And almost every area of that stack, we have secondary and in some cases even tertiary providers. And we're going to continue to build redundancy in the stack so that even if somebody does fold to the woke mob, I don't expect these guys will, but even if somebody does, then we're going to have backups for all that technology. So I think it's pretty safe and secure. Of course, nothing's perfect, but we're going to continue to make it as close to that as we possibly can.
0: Wow, that's great news! And you said the app. So it, um, Apple deleted the app, right? So
1: how do you how does that work? If you had the app, you could still access it on mobile. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have it on your device, you know, I'm, I've been using it on my iPhone. Uh, all day yesterday, I used it on my iPad. Uh, if you have it on an Android device, if you downloaded it from the Google store where it's no longer available either, you still have access to the app. That technology resides on your phone. It doesn't actually run through the store. Uh, the only downside is right now, you cannot download it fresh from the app store or from the Google store.
0: Got it. Okay, so that, that's the good news that actually Patriots have have a place to go, though, at least those who were up before, and you know, new uh, users will be invited in the coming day. So the the question is this, um, obviously, as you heard my monologue there, the other side has one rule. There's no principle. There's no, you know, their rule is they win, we lose, and they'll find any way to do it. And my concern is what's going on is not just big tech, but concurrent with big tech actually silencing us is big government, which has the ultimate monopoly on the law and violence is basically criminalizing our speech. They're getting very close to that. Um, What we're seeing with these nebulous trespassing charges that are getting a degree of legal action against them that's greater than all the violent crime that we're seeing in the country. You're seeing the way they're hunting people down. You're seeing DHS's bulletins saying that the biggest threats to the homeland are people... That believe the election were stolen or don't believe in covid fascism that's literally what they're putting out now um do you have any sense that doj would take the ball away in other words okay you get independent but then doj will just say you're a terrorist organization you're fomenting insurrection and there's you're a danger to the country and therefore you're gone
1: Yeah. I don't think that that's an illegitimate fear, you know, and I've been through this before. I understand what it's like to have state power come against you during the early days of the tea party. The IRS was used against tea party groups. Ultimately we stood up a lawsuit and funded that lawsuit and sued the IRS in a class action. And we won that by the way, we, we ended up with a large settlement from the IRS. So I'm used to being subjected to state power so I think anybody who thinks that they won't do that is just underestimating the depth to which those on the left will go to undermine free speech and, and just freedom generally. Uh, so do I worry about DOJ? Yeah, I worry about DOJ, FBI. I worry about Congress itself, uh, you know, and I can't get into any of the details, but there's certainly like right now it's it's public record that the House Oversight Committee Chairwoman Maloney has issued a uh, a letter requesting documents from, from parlor. So I think they're going to come at us with everything they've got. And what I intend, what we intend is to stand with everything we've got. And what that really means other than legally and procedurally and all that stuff is, it means standing with the American people because that's really what this fight is about. It's not about the government against any one person or one entity or even group of people. It's literally about us versus them. This is about a ruling elite, and and I believe that they are actually fascist in nature. So I think this is a ruling elite fascist oligarchy that intends to silence free speech and dissent in America. Mussolini said that fascism is defined as everything inside the state, nothing outside of the state, and nothing against the state. And I know some people will think when I say fascism that sounds so extreme, Mussolini, essentially the inventor of and definer of fascism, defined what we have going on in this country right now. If you look at what the radical left believes, it's everything inside of the state. In other words, the federal government especially, but state governments as well, but the federal government especially, can do anything and everything. They don't believe that there are any limits on government power. They also believe that government should do everything. Cradle to grave, right? They've been saying this a long time. They should take care of us, they should control us, they should control our speech. And then importantly one of the things that's going on right now and what i think is new and really tips us into fascism is this idea of nothing against the state and one of the things that always that these fascist states do historically is they end up ultimately co-opting and owning the press and in this case in this country what's so interesting is the press and by that i would extend that to the tech oligarchy is going along voluntarily they didn't have to take over the press the press is already part of the oppressive ruling class. And so we're facing off against all of those things all at once. And I think it's an existential fight.
0: So th- that's what I wanted to get to, because, you know, we talk about the government controlling things, but you you heard my opening monologue. I mean, I talked about it before I brought you on a little bit, but the, the legal case that I'm giving, you know, because a lot of people are saying, well, you know, they're, they're private entities and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they could do what they want and I I, I want to get your, your feeling because what frustrates me is that, you know, we have like North Korea style tyranny on anything our businesses or our people want to do. But then for them, they want like 1789 laissez-faire. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's kind of what I was saying with the ADA and OSHA. I mean, you have everything, but you could violate it for mask mandates. Like the, that's it. Well, well, no, I mean, we, it's got to be a two way street. And. What is your way of explaining how, you know, this is not just, oh, a business could do whatever they want when it comes to Amazon and all these types?
1: Look, I mean, so my my natural inclination is very libertarian. And so I am a a laissez faire kind of a guy. Naturally, The, the problem that we have is that. So capitalism is fantastic. Unfettered capitalism has always been a problem you have absolutely unfettered capitalism, then you have tyranny because you get these huge corporations that end up essentially being governments yes. in and of themselves and being so deeply in bed with our government as they are right now that there it's hard to make a distinction. There's actually a novel legal theory that's been developed. And I think this is ultimately probably relatively quickly going to make its way up to the Supreme court. And it's a first amendment theory that involves private actors now, to be clear It's important to note that the First Amendment doesn't apply to private actors, generally speaking. Right. So when people get mad on Facebook because they get banned from Facebook and they say that's against the First Amendment. Well, technically speaking, that's not true. In other words, and you said this, well, people say they're a private actor. They can do whatever they want. There's a crossover theory that's been developed, which I'm actually in support of, which is when an entity actually is operating under the cover of state power, then they actually are subject to the First Amendment. And so yes. it goes something like this. Yes. There's a, a variety of ways to slice this, but I'm going to give you a specific example. When you have the federal government and powerful people in the federal government repeatedly saying, holding hearings, you know, calling Mark Zuckerberg before Congress and saying, if you don't control speech, then we're going to control you. And Zuckerberg, in order to protect his business model, I'm not trying to excuse him, I'm just painting the facts, he starts controlling speech, then the argument can be made that that's no longer private action. That's actually been compelled by the state. And so he becomes essentially for purposes of First Amendment litigation, a state actor. And the First Amendment applies against Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. And so I think that's actually a viable theory. I'm not sure the courts are ready for it. I think we're going to start to see this litigated and probably litigated all the way up to the Supreme Court over the next couple of years. But I do think that that's a necessary weapon if we're going to have these giant uh, tech oligarchies cooperating with the government.
0: Yeah, and you're making a First Amendment argument, but I'd even go down a layer just statutorily when you get into antitrust laws. This is the ultimate collusion when you have them all get together to a point that it will box you out from accessing a constitutional right. So again – a private actor, yeah, I mean, they can do what they want in a vacuum. But if they all collude together to, let's say, make it that you can't do anything, then you don't have any rights left. We, we quite literally don't have any rights left. And, and again, I'm dealing with, with this with a Tennessee bill. I'm having some conservatives. Well, Daniel, I don't like telling businesses you have to you, – you can't deny service to those who don't have a mask. But speaking to your theory – that you know if someone back in the day wanted to just say i don't know everyone who comes into my office you know my 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 store has to wear a mask i would be okay with that although i would say we have reams of laws saying that you have to take affirmative and often expensive actions to actively accommodate people and their health needs so somehow you could put a positive on an individual's negative just coming in there and breathing normally um i would say it's career but, okay, whatever. but to speak to your point, we've gone a year of the government using the most virulent tools to force this on businesses and society to a point where it's become a norm where the market would have never made it a norm. So we had the most anti-libertarian fascist thing you could ever have. I I, I can't sit and say, well, oh, you know, well, let's just let the market decide it. Because the problem I'm having is even in the states where you don't have a mandate or you get rid of it, it's so embedded in society now. You literally, as a human being, cannot enjoy life with your children, go anywhere, go to a doctor's office, access vital goods and services without the criminalization of your breath, of your of your your being, your state of being in locomotion. And I, I just find that to be analytical sophistry. Because you can't get, like, they're being fascist beyond belief and shutting down businesses and have longstanding ADA, OSHA, anti-discrimination that is so meddlesome and officious. yet somehow we can't even just even up the score they created by just saying, look, just don't deny service. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to accommodate. I mean, these are the problems I'm having. And I think if we continue along this line, we will never beat the left.
1: No, I agree with you. You know how I feel about, especially the state legislatures, they need to take action and they need to take bold action. And they have not done that. And this is our frustration, you and I, in dealing with all these state legislatures. They have the power to stop this stuff. They have the power to take the power away from the governors in most cases. And in most cases, they have not. And so this is really Fundamentally, the Achilles heel in the system. This is the weakness right now. We have the power in the state legislatures if we if they choose to exercise it. And so far, for the most part, they haven't chosen to use the power that they have.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- this is what I can't get my arms around. That like, I I'm trying to think of an analogy of what a governor could do because they've already done everything. But I mean, I don't know. Let's say they just say we're going to round up Jews or something. I I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know how to get more severe than what we've already done. But I'm specifically picking that because it seems like. Our society has accepted that tyranny is okay if you apply it equally. The only time people seem to care in the courts care is if you target one group. So let's let's say a governor did that. Are we going to be like, you no, know, now really, legitimately, you just don't listen to it and then the governor should be arrested. But, you know, we like using legitimate institutions as best as we can to push back. So let's say we say, okay, the, the state legislature is going to you know get in and, and pass a concurrent resolution that this, this is void. Ah. Uh, I don't know, Daniel, the state constitution says that they can't outside of regular session. They can't convene without the permission of the governor. I mean, this is the type of sophistry I'm hearing every day. And it's like, well, the constitution also says the governor can't do what he's doing without the legislature. But but somehow the other side, they get 10 free at bats and 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 it's not subject to any scrutiny or question or legal challenges. And then anything we want to do to evacuate from the unconstitutional tyranny that they foisted upon us through not following the Constitution, we're subjected to this hyper Amelia Bedelia literalist focus on every last clause of every last line of every state constitution.
1: Well, I mean, you and I, again, are in complete agreement. What? But the fundamental problem is the lack of fortitude in the legislatures. And it's frustrating and it's disgusting. This is where Convention of States come in which is our grassroots are out there to pressure these guys to do the right thing. Unfortunately, Daniel, it's going to take time that I don't even know if we have because these guys have to start losing elections because they won't do the right thing. And so the question is, do the people have the fortitude Mm -hmm. and the willpower to push back against these things? Because that's really ultimately the last line of defense. It's not the legislature's The legislatures can be weak. If the people are strong, the people will make the legislatures do the right thing. And right now, we have not seen, in my opinion, enough pushback from the American people. They don't even know. I, I just said on the show, I was talking about West
0: Virginia and how, you know, God forbid, should they oppose the fundamentals of the immoral and illogical and inhumane policies. You know, we have reams of data and 10 months of learned experience how this is just all pain and no gain. It is literally dark ages thinking. It is utterly insane. No, that all the Republican leadership, and sometimes they mandate it in their own legislatures, walking around with their, with their garb, uh, their religious symbols. Okay, fine, whatever. But, you know, at least in the technical sense, eh, the legislature needs to push back and have some say in the emergency powers. So in West Virginia, we had a case where this member, Pat McKeon, Tried to propose an amendment, and they stripped it out of committee. So he proposed on the floor yesterday to simply apply their sixty-day limit, okay, which is very generous to the governor, um, to the existing emergency. Right, that's the whole Super Bowl. See, they crafted it that it should only apply to future ones. That's one of the several tricks that these Republicans are playing. And there are seventy-seven Republicans in that House. They have a seventy-seven twenty-three majority. We lost the vote 47-51, and no one even knew it took place, and I said to myself, if we only had these Liberty Strike Force teams that I'm trying to create to focus and pound away, I'm sure we could have gotten 51, and and this is what keeps me up at night that I think we're, like you said, we the people are leaving so much on the table. Just wanted to get your quick thoughts on that.
1: I agree with you. And that's an outrageous vote. It should have been overwhelmingly in our favor to lose like that is absolutely incredible. And it shows the lack of fortitude in the legislatures. And this is part of what they do. They play these tricks. So nobody even really knows it's going on. And they have these votes and it happens essentially behind closed doors. It's in public, but essentially they make sure nobody knows they do it quickly and then they move past it. They just don't have the fighting spirit that it takes. And I don't know how bad it's going to have to get before they do or if they ever will. But again, I think it's up to us. It's up to we, the people.
0: Perfect. I know you got to run real quick. Any states you think we're going to add to the tally of COS states this year? Yeah,
1: absolutely. There's a lot of them in play right now. I'll be in South Dakota next week. I think South Dakota looks pretty good. It's going to be a big fight, but it looks good. West Virginia looks good. North Carolina looks good. South Carolina looks good. Uh, Pennsylvania looks pretty good. Ohio looks pretty good. Ohio, I think, looks really good. Uh, Michigan, we're starting from scratch because we lost Lee Chatfield, our speaker, who was termed out. But I've had great conversations there. There is a lot of action on Convention estates States this year.
0: Wow, that's great. It really sounds like theoretically in two cycles, I think two cycles, we could probably do this, get to get to, um, you know, 34, possibly, especially if there's a good midterm. Um, yep. You'll keep us updated on this. Thank you so much. I thought I was busy, but man, may God be with you. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it and keep up the great work. All righty. That was Mark Meckler, folks, director of Convention of the States. And folks, you could find me on Parlor as well at DEH0414. Apologize for the clunky name, but somehow my name is just very common. So the handles are always taken and uh, we wish them luck We'll see what happens there. I applaud Mark for really doing double duty. It's pretty amazing that he is at the peak of COS state legislative pushes in the, in the winter, and then you know he takes over as interim CEO. Um, good for him. Now, I just want to get back to a couple things we talked about with the legislatures, and then uh, just a couple of other COVID items to tie up the week and the loose ends. The reason why you see the analytical sophistry, this excuse making, oh, I can't do it because of this or I want to be principled. They're not principled. They're unprincipled. They're doing it because they don't believe in what we believe in. They don't believe in liberty as much as the left believes in tyranny. And it shows. It shows. Because if you did, you wouldn't make those excuses or these just sophomoric arguments and again that's the thing you can't have a situation where government regulates businesses to criminalize human behavior and you make that a thing and then somehow you're like oh daniel okay now that it's over and it's not over in most places but even the fewer it is leave it to the free market but you destroyed the free market I'm 100% absolutist with a free market. But that's if you didn't have the government come in and destroy it. That's the problem. So you have to even up the score. Again, we're not saying we should use the state to do what we want to do because they use it to do what they want to do. We're saying to evacuate from the item that they did. They lock us up. We have the right to break out of that. We're not saying we're going to run out randomly locking people up in retaliation it's kind of like what happened with blacks and the first generation of civil rights, right? The notion that you could tell a business or an employer you can't discriminate against blacks is unconstitutional. And and we all agree with that because you could discriminate against anyone. It's a private entity. We understand that. But the idea was that when you had government using the boot of government, to deny blacks life, liberty, and property. So then the problem was. Even when you took that away. Society was imbued with that value. And that mandate that was created by government. So they kept doing it. So you needed some sort of way of evening up the score. Now again the idea was supposed to be limited to them. Limited for a period of time. And was supposed to be limited Just to that. Not positive privileges and benefits. And then it took on a life of its own. But our point is. We're not asking for like. Reparations. Or you have to coddle. People that don't wear masks. Just simply don't deny service. That's it. That's it. No you don't have to do anything. It's a don't do. Because government created that. Where everyone is terrified to allow anyone without a mask. That's not natural. That's insane. Government created that with all of its lies and censorship. And believe me, there's censorship. There's crazy censorship. You know, there's a piece out by a Swedish scientist that talks about how he's given up. He's not publishing any anything more because of the hate he's getting. So you have this dude, um, Katrin Trisel. He's a Swedish epidemiologist and pediatrician. So he put out something in the Swedish press basically saying that it's titled Risk That Researchers Are Intimidated Into Silence. And originally he published something in the New England Journal of Medicine, a paper Showing just the extraordinarily low risk of serious health issues and zero deaths among children in Sweden, and zero excess risk for teachers or other professionals, that's all he showed, right? So that, you know, children with schools had no, there were zero deaths, um, remarkably few, you know, hospitalizations, fewer than there are for the flu and, and the flu season. And then for adult teachers in the school, you know, they just had the rate of whatever you had in the community, but nothing excess from opening schools, and and it's it's backed by every single data point you could find in every country throughout the world, and again, zero out of two million and sixty year sixteen year old children or younger, um, had uh, you know died from COVID. And he wrote, I do not understand how a study whose main finding is that 15 children for four months have been cared for at an intensive care unit, which is a pretty low figure, can provoke so much anger. But it did. And he's like, I give up. And the issue that we're having here is we're not asking Republicans to go back to 1789. We're not asking Republicans to go back to 1929, pre-FDR. We're not asking them to go back to the early 1960s, pre-LBJ Great Society. We're only asking them to go back to this date last year. They can't even militate completely or even 10% against the most radical, destructive, unscientific, illogical, immoral, inhumane lie ever. All of them, they, they, they buy into the whole thing. Yes, yes, we need to wear masks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. The disagreement is basically should children be out of school or should they be in school with their mouth and nose gagged for seven hours. Should restaurants have 25% capacity or 50% capacity. And wearing masks in between bites. This is where it's at. Daniel you can't get it all. Don't be a purist on me. This is where we're at now. You look at Indiana. Again Republicans have. A three and a half to one majority in the Senate. A um two and a half to one majority in the house. And again, they could override the governor with just 51%. This guy is literally like Gavin Newsom of California. There's no he's a radical Eric Holcomb, the governor there. Radical. He's so radical that the teachers' union. Indiana State Teachers Association, for the first time ever, stayed neutral. They didn't endorse the Democrat because they already had the Democrat. They met with him. in on July 14th, eight days later, Holcomb announced the statewide mask mandate. The original version made it a Class B misdemeanor to not to wear a mask, punishable for up to six months in jail or a $1,000 fine. He predicted that masking would become the fashion of the day. This is the Republican governor of Indiana. That same day, ISTA President Keith Gamble put out a statement crediting their meeting with Holcomb for securing the mask mandate. And four weeks later, ISTA announced the unprecedented move of them remaining neutral in the gubernatorial race between him and the official Democrat, the unofficial Democrat and the official Democrat. And the legislature does nothing. And then finally they get back into session this year, and it's like one percent. As I talked about yesterday. You literally have the speaker of the house, Houston. Speaker Houston. He said a couple weeks ago that mass are Amazing, I encourage everyone to wear them. The vast, vast, vast majority of the scientific and medical community agree that wearing masks are important, and I will stand by those. This is the speaker of a a two-and-a-half-to-one GOP majority. I have charts out today. You look at all the people in the Ohio Valley climate zone designated by NOAA, okay? It's the same climate. So Indiana, Illinois, Missouri. They have the exact same curve Dating back to the beginning. Same curve. Meaning the same shape and the same time. But incidentally, Missouri is the closest state. The only one in the area that doesn't have a statewide mask mandate. And they have the lowest cases. So it's a curve, but it's, you know, it doesn't go as high. Indiana is the highest. My buddy, um, uh, Kyle Lamb... As I noted, he put out a 50-state ranking system where what he did was he ranked each state. He re-weighted their demographics compared to the national average. So there's your ranking how many COVID deaths you had per capita. But then how many COVID deaths do you have per capita if you weight your age demographic per the national average? And the reason you do that is because Let's say you have a state with a much older population, a state with a much younger population. You ha- In order to get an apples-to-apples comparison because it's such a disproportionate threat to older people, you would have to reweight them on an equal level. So that's what he did. It was a very, very novel idea. And for the reweighted stuff, okay, reweighted um, age demographic Indiana ranked number 40. They had, they did everything right. They did this stuff. Okay? They ranked number 40. By that measure, Florida ranks 16. Think about that. Missouri. Which is in the same, um, it's basically the same climate zone, roughly the same latitude, same seasonal curve. I believe he has them at 23. I'm just telling you folks, I have almost failed to see an apples to apples scenario Where a masking area has done, has not done worse than the unmasked area. And I think those of you who have listened to all my shows with experts on, you'll understand why. It absolutely leads to the spread through fomite spread, touching it. It's a bacteria trap. You keep reusing them. This is exactly what the very people who are pushing it to this day said this time last year by the way, Ian Miller did an interesting comparison. There's two suburban counties of St. Louis, Missouri. One is Jefferson County. I didn't prepare this. And one is uh, St. Charles County. Okay? Jefferson County had a mask mandate at a county level. St. Charles did not. Both suburbs of St. Louis. And again, as always... St. Charles did much better. And by the way, St. Charles is much more densely populated than Jefferson County. So you can't throw that in my face as a factor. But this is what we have. You literally have the most radical premises and policies promoted by the left, all built on a lie the COVID lies, the George Floyd lies the January 6th lies, and Republicans will not only not push back with equal uh, an opposing force, they will actually harness the left's premise as their own. But in each given time, it's like, you're so right, this is the problem, this is appalling, this needs to be done. Yes, none of our own narratives, none of our outrage-mongering over the issues we care about, None of the investigations into the lies behind their premises. But, you know, they'll pick one sort, one policy and say, don't, don't take it that far. That's essentially what's happening. Show me the legislature where they are holding hearings with Scott Atlas and people like that and the Rational Ground folks and showing that the entire premise of this is a lie. They never want to fight anything. And you heard what Mark Meckler said. Ultimately, it's in the people's hands. We continue voting them in. We don't focus on them. And again, this is really where I want to take the movement in the coming days at conaction.network. Conaction.network is where you could sign up for your state. Again, I'm not saying we're always going to convince them, but look, there are some states where they're starting to do some good things, but could be better. Where they need more support behind it, or there's better, you know, there's other things we can do. Montana did pass out of the house. Montana looks like it's one of the bright spots. Um, The governor grading on a curve is better than most. They they always had a super majority in the legislature, but oddly they they've had a Democrat governor for most of recent history. So now they have the trifecta, and they are doing better things with it. Two to one, like 66-34, they only lost one Republican. They passed a bill barring all localities from enforcing mass mandates and things like that, and business closures. So that, you know, and that passed the House. But again, I don't know where it stands in the Senate. This is where we need a Montana group. Idaho put a legitimate 30-day limit to expire the COVID mandates from... Governor Brad Chicken Little, they lost eight Republicans, but it's still past 42-20. So that's enough to override his veto. It goes on to the Senate now. But this is where we need to keep the pressure up. And again, I mean, we need to go after masks there. There's a lot of things we need to do. I don't understand why I'm the only one trying to put together something like this. This is where the fight is. This is where liberty will be won or lost. Democrats have shown it in the places they control. A couple other things just to tie up today. Obviously, many of you, I'm sure, have seen the article by Marty Macri, the Johns Hopkins uh, doctor that wrote in the Wall Street Journal, well, I've heard immunity by April. Um And I think his point is that, you know, obviously the curve was expected, but it does appear that the winter curve did seem to stall out pretty early. Like, I would have expected to go on for another month before starting to tail down. That was pretty early. It really started dropping in early January, some places mid-January. You would have expected to go on to February, um, in my view, and... Again, I mean, in in, in a lot of places, we have to be brushing up against that herd immunity. So there's that. And, you know, then, then you have, obviously, this whole variant thing, which is the next lie. And that needs to be stuffed in the hole. It's mentally ill. The cases that are... I'm sorry, the time period and the areas that overlap with the new variants coincide with a drop in cases by 77% worldwide. It's unbelievable. It is just unbelievable. You look at South Africa, and there's almost no cases left there. Same thing in England has gone down. Brazil, all the places that have the new variants, the cases have gone down. What's the lesson of all of this? It all boils down to the God gap. No one believes in God anymore. People of this narcissistic generation, and that includes people that claim to be religious conservatives, but they don't quite feel it in their heart. They can't accept in this era that there's stuff that's just out of our control. Like, even the people that try to down, like, say what I'm saying, they're more focused on, well, the whole thing's a hoax. The virus not really a problem. And I think to a large degree, it's being exaggerated. And to a large degree, they're right. But there are people that had a rough go of this. And there are people that did die early. Most of them didn't die that early. But, you know, there is a little bit of a plague going on. It's not... I've said this from day one. I've been remarkably consistent from day one, from last January. Um, it, it's not your typical kind of flu. It's like a pandemic flu, but it's, it's a little bit more quirky and problematic in certain ways. But I say that because people think that either it's not a problem or if there is, there must be something we could do about it. Well, what if God sends something your way that is a problem and there's not a darn thing you can do about it? Have we ever accepted that? You have to pray, maybe fast and repent, and that's all you can do. Now, thankfully, God has been merciful to us, and most people not outside the final year of their life don't wind up dying from it, and most of those don't really wind up getting as sick as they've been from their sickest ailment, and most of those don't get sick much much at all beyond their typical, like, once a year illness. A lot of them are asymptomatic. But God gave us a lot of very cheap remedies that are 70, 80% proof. And those are the things that have been rejected. And that's the biggest proof. This is all about control. So from the political class, it's insidious. It's all about control. But the people go along with it. It's the God gap. And they get bought into the fear. Believe it or not, there are some things... That are out of your control. It's a similar thing with, with what's going on in Texas. It's like the technology nowadays is unreal. But then every once in a while we get a reminder of like we're back to the Stone Ages. Certain basic things we can't handle. And again, each one of those there's policy issues. Um, What's his name? Uh, and I'm forgetting... His name is Tucker, his last name is Tucker and I and I really apologize but he wrote a good article at um I can't remember that organization but I'll I'll find it. Jeffrey Tucker I think is his name. Jeffrey Tucker. He wrote an article that, you know, a lot of people are focused on wind power and I think there's truth to it with what's going on in Texas. But what's more interesting is people are forgetting the, the COVID shutdown angle. So this is one of the only organizations I know fighting COVID fascism, being clear from day one, American Institute for Economic Research. It's like a libertarian type of place, but one of the few libertarian places that have actually, you know, fought for anything good. And he just has an interesting article about really lockdowns being responsible for ERCOT, the quasi-government entity there that controls the power supply, they stopped inspecting power plants, you know, and the, the, the upkeep. I mean, certain basic things, these are some of the small things that we're going to find out in the coming years that, when you shut down a society to deal with a respiratory virus that you can't stop anyway. But what you can do is create a man-made plague. Things that God gave you power over, to, over and dominion over to deal with. You give that up for something that you don't have power over. This is really the centerpiece of the COVID fascism. And the way they get everyone to buy into all this is because of the God Gap. And those who call themselves Christian conservatives, a good percentage of them, have internalized this as well. Which is why they're not comfortable with quite what the Democrats are doing on COVID. But they've accepted the premise that fundamentally we need to be doing this. We can do it. It helps. God wants that from us. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Kids should be back in school. With masks, of course. It's a big problem. How many people call themselves conservative and have accepted the notion that God would want from you to treat another human being's existence as a threat? Obviously, if a human being takes an an unusual action that's harmful, you have the right to say, look, you're harming me. But the notion that you could say your existence unless you take an action against your state of being, you are a threat to me. That, that's pagan. That is really godless. That's not our job. Because at some point you have to have faith in God. I could say a lot of people's habits are a threat to mine. Much less their breathing. But if you believe in God at some point, you know, he runs the world, he's not going to let that harm you if he doesn't mean for it to happen. Especially if it's extremely subtle and commonplace and normal, you can't stop the world for that. But we have very few people that have a firm grounding. You know, to honor Rush's legacy this week, one of his famous line, lines, where you know that he said, "I could read the stitches on the fastball," and that's the problem. Like nowadays, we don't have people like that, and they fall for it every time. They fall for it. Some of it's social media because they have to show their virtue signaling. And then over time, they start believing their own virtue signaling. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I certainly want to do something about COVID. Yes, yes, yes. Certainly there was right-wing terrorism. Yes, oh, it was terrible. The guy murdered George Floyd. And you're right, there's police reforms we need to talk about. I just saw the Utah legislature, the, the speaker of the Utah legislature, said he's going to uh, look at three bills dealing with, quote, police reform. I mean, we have to make it that if you're in a Republican district, it is unacceptable for you to use that terminology, much less pursue those policies. But it's tough doing it alone. But together, iron, sharpening iron, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot we will do. So again, I need you to be a little bit patient before we start picking team leaders and organizing the groups together but I will tell you, we have hundreds of people. We'll probably push a thousand um, sometime in the next two weeks. If you wanna, you know, sign up, conaction.network, we're gonna make the website better. But ultimately we'll we'll send you emails. Some of you should have gotten our first email, and we will put you together and you'll have a group and you'll be shocked at what guys could you you guys could could do if you focused on the top issues dealing with COVID fascism, big tech crime, um, refugee resettlement, immigration stuff, election integrity laws, and you focus at a county and state level. You can't do it all, but you'll be surprised what you can do, especially in some of those smaller states. The pressure you could create, the havoc you could wreak on the political system. There's a lot you can do with that, and I look forward to doing that in the coming days. But in order to do that, I need you guys to help me grow CR Podcast. Um, you have to subscribe on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, send to all your friends and family. This is not like any other show you're going to listen to. So I know a lot of people are like, hey, I'm all podcasted out. I have my regular guys. And 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 there's some good guys out there that you should listen to. But you know you're always going to get from me something new, something different, something actionable. Um, it's not going to be the repetition of the same dissertation of other people. So make sure you you send this show around. make sure you sign up for conaction.network. Again you could follow me on Twitter at RMConservative and parlor at deh0414 on Geb at Daniel underscore Harwitz on Rumble. Um, I've been a little bit slow with the videos this week. I'll try to put out more. Rumble. Harwitz Citizen Sanctuary. Have a blessed weekend with your family. Stay safe, stay knowledgeable. Stay in the fight. Until next week, God bless you all.